Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. All right, here we go. I'm excited to, uh, to share this message. You know, it's, um, it's my job to spend time really discerning kind of what um, us as a, as a body need to hear. And sometimes it's a wrestle and sometimes it's a fight and got to kind of really, um, you know, seek God and, and wrestle. And then there's sometimes there's moments like this week where it's just like, boom, just pops in to my head and my heart. And I know that I know that I know exactly what the word is. And that's what this word is. And the title of this message is ingredients for the impossible. Ingredients for the impossible. And I remember in, um, in 2020, and I'll tell a little bit of, of just Katie and I's story for those of you that haven't heard it, but in 2020, we were brand new pastors, had just taken over this church, and it was crazy. It was, you know, in March, everything shut down, lockdowns, shutdowns. Um, we had unprecedented racial tension back in 2020, if you remember. Katie and I are brand new at this, and it was, we, I can't even describe to you the, the, vitriol and hatred that Katie and I would get on Instagram and Facebook. Um, somebody uh, called me a grandma-killing plague rat one time, um, which Pastor Jurgen Leanne thought was so funny that now Pastor Jurgen calls me Mikey the plague rat. But I'm kind of proud of it, if I was honest. And just, it was so hard. I mean, like every church service, there was like a, a new adventure. And it'd be like, you know, I'm, I'm driving to church to preach and trying to get in the right headspace. And one of the volunteers would call me and say, hey, just letting you know, the county's here. They're, you know, saying the police are going to show up to shut everything down. And I'm like, I'm just, I just want to show up and preach, let alone deal with all of this. And, and it was just, it was a really, really hard time, really difficult season. But I remember um, this this new family coming in. And, you know, you can just always tell when someone's new at church, they just kind of walk around all wide-eyed and they stick out like a sore thumb. If you're new, I'm sorry, but we, we can tell you're new. It's okay. You'll get assimilated really quick. And, um, and I just, I remember, you know, Katie and I could tell they were new. We went straight up to them and, and just introduced ourselves. And, you know, how'd you, how'd you find the church? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, I heard that miracles happen here. And I pray that always we're a church where the impossible happens. If we ever lose the, the, the DNA of our church, we're a church that is fresh, real, and powerful. We can't lose it. And so I want to talk today about the ingredients for the impossible. So what does it mean for something to be impossible? It means it can't be done. What's the opposite of impossible? It means possible, that it can be done. And as human beings, we because we're limited creatures, we have to wrestle with that. We have to deal with what is possible and what is impossible. It is impossible for me to become pregnant. I don't, I don't know why that has to get so many amens, but apparently it's a scandalous topic these days. It is impossible, I don't know why, it is impossible for me to wash out my Tupperware where I put my food. It's like this weird, this mental block I have. It's like if it goes too long, then it just becomes like a hazmat creation. I'm like, baby, I can't touch it. And I just throw it away. I'm like, I can't, I can't face it. I can't open it up. The stench will kill me. And so literally in our house, like every 
six weeks, we just go to Target and just buy new Tupperware. We just start over. I don't know, it's impossible for me. As humans, we have to wrestle with things that are possible and things that are impossible. We're limited. But as Christians, Jesus himself said in Matthew 19, verse 26, I love this, the disciples come to him and they're talking about something and they say, Lord, this is impossible. And then Jesus says this. It says, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Come on, somebody. And then in one of the most famous um, sentences ever uttered by the Apostle Paul, Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things. Somebody say, all things. All things through Christ who gives me strength. That means all things, that nothing is impossible. But I think if we were honest with one another, hopefully it's not just me, that'd be sad because I'm the pastor, that there's times where that doesn't feel congruent with the reality that we find ourselves in. I mean, it doesn't, maybe it is for you guys. I know for me, it just doesn't feel like the impossible is popping off left and right, here, there, and everywhere. And I just, just close my eyes and say, Lord, I declare right now for a Beneteau 423 sailboat with Kevlar sails. Come on, somebody. Teak wood all over the, you know? There's things that, that Katie and I have been praying for for years and years, and it feels like, you know, just sometimes it's just, it's just not quite there, and we're still pressing, still pushing. We have seen the miraculous. We have seen the impossible, but it doesn't feel sometimes, right? Come on, I hope I'm not the only one, where it's just like the impossible's not happening left and right. So why is that? If the word of God, if the promise of God is that with God all things are possible, then how come we don't see the impossible popping off left and right every single day? It must mean that it's not inevitable. There's a big difference between the word possible and inevitable. Inevitable means it's gonna happen no matter what. Possible just means it can happen, not necessarily that it will happen. So there must be ingredients, other things that have to come together for us to see the impossible in our lives. And so we're going to look at a guy in the Bible that um, kind of flies under the radar, but the, it's like the more, and this is why I love the Bible. It's the living, breathing word of God. I've read certain things probably a thousand times and then read it again, and it's like I'm reading it for the very, very first time. And it was like the more I dug into this guy's life, the more my mind was just blown. And we're gonna talk about a guy named Caleb. Anybody in, in the house named Caleb? Any Calebs in here? Come on, my guy right there, come on. It's a good name. It's a really good name. We're gonna talk about this guy named Caleb, but I just wanna give you a real quick kind of his, Bible history lesson, make sure we're all on the same page, get everybody caught up. So the Israelites, the Hebrew nation, started enslaved to the Egyptians, okay? So the uh, Pharaoh had the, the Israelites enslaved and was, it was brutal. He was nervous that as they begin to grow and become more and more numerous that, that they would eventually align with one of the enemies of Egypt, of Egypt and overtake them. And so he was a very cruel taskmaster and would whip them and beat them and give them quotas for their work that were impossible to meet. And so the Israelites, the nation started in bondage, in slavery. And then God, 
God speaks to a man named Moses and says, hey, you're the guy that I'm gonna use to lead my people out of slavery and take them finally to a land that I've promised to them, that I swore to Abraham. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing. You're my guy. So Moses says, okay, let's do it. He says, hey, Pharaoh, I need you to let my people go. Pharaoh says, ah, I don't really know. You guys work really hard. Getting a lot of free labor out of this is pretty awesome. No thanks. M- Moses says, are you sure? Pharaoh says, oh, no thanks. And so he says, okay, take some locusts, take some frogs, take some Nile turned to blood, all these plagues levied against Pharaoh. Finally, Pharaoh's like, okay, get out of here. I don't like this, this sucks. And so the Israelites leave Egypt out into the wilderness and they go straight to this promised land and they stand at the door of it, at the border. And Moses sends 12 spies out. He picks 12 guys and says, I want you guys to go and spy out the land. Go check it out. Come on, it's, it's filled with other people. We're gonna have to, to dispossess the land from them. We're gonna have to fight them and kick them out. And let's go do some scouting. Come on, somebody, that's a word for somebody that the promise from God is gonna have other inhabitants in it that you're gonna have to dispossess, okay? There's promises from God that don't just get handed to you in your lap. You actually have to fight for and kick out the enemy. Come on, somebody. And so they go and spy out the land. And here is the report that they bring back in Numbers chapter 13, verses 25 through 33. Be on the screen behind me. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. They'd actually cut off a cluster of grapes, and the grapes were so massive, they had to stick a pole through the stem and have two guys carry it. They're like, this is the fruit that it produces. But, but the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb, come on somebody, he quieted the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. It's impossible. We can't do it. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So this spread, this bad, they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Then the Bible says that, you know, you got like a million people out in the wilderness that Moses said, follow me, I'm gonna take you to this promised land. And they get this report that we can't do it. And so the Bible says that they all begin to weep out loud and mourn. And then God gets really, really mad. Old Testament God was, he was wild, y'all. So he gets so mad. He's like, are you kidding me? You literally walked through the Red Sea with a wall of water on your right, a wall of water on your left, when you got through, I crashed it down on the Egyptians, swallowing up every enemy, and you're gonna mourn and wail because you don't think that I can deliver you into this promised land. So he says, you're done, I'm killing all of you. Literally, go read it, Numbers 13. He says, I'm killing every single one of you. He looks at Moses and he says, Moses, me and you, we're starting over, I'm gonna bring a great nation out of you. And then Moses says, hey, whoa, chill, Lord if I may. And he says, what will the Egyptians think? 
that why, you know, what kind of God would bring his people out of Egypt just to slaughter them in the wilderness? Don't do this. And then the Bible says, in one of, to me, one of the craziest passages in all of Scripture, and it says, and Moses changed the mind of the Lord. And so God says, okay, fine, I'm not going to kill him, but you're not going to enter the promised land, not a single one of you, except for two people, Joshua and his friend Caleb. Numbers 14.24 says, but my servant Caleb. Because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully. Somebody say fully. I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. The ingredients for the impossible. Point number one is you have to have a different spirit. You've got to have a different spirit. If you look around you at, you know, your, your community, your workplace, your friends, whatever, your, your circle of life, and if you... Think like all the people around you think. If you speak like all the other people around you speak, if you act like all the other people around you act, then you're gonna have the life like everybody else around you. If you want a life that looks different than the world that you see around you, then you have to be different. You have to have a different spirit in you. And actually, the name Caleb, I love this. It comes from two Hebrew words, kal and leb. Kal means entire. It means whole. And then lev means heart. Literally, the name Caleb means whole heart. And I love that, like, it's got to be a dozen times, and you're going to see as we read, every time it talks about Caleb, it says that he followed God fully with his whole heart. So a lot of you guys know um, Katie and I's story. You know, we moved here a little over 10 years ago from Dallas, Texas. Uh, we didn't move here to, uh, we had no ambitions of being pastors. I actually didn't even have any ambitions of going to church. I was trying to not go to church. And actually, true story, Katie, when she found this church, she would go to church on Sundays and I would ride my bike to the sports bar so that I could drink beer and watch the Dallas Cowboys play football. And then she would come and pick me up from the sports bar after church. That's where I started. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Come on, somebody. And um, we came for me to go to graduate school at UC San Diego, and I did, I did a, a PhD in structural engineering, and part of my academic journey took me to Florence, Italy, and I got to be a part of it. It was just an amazing opportunity, and we had, you know, I came around and had started come to the church and, and was, um, you know, beginning to... to see some, some things that I couldn't explain. Some, some areas of my heart began to get healed and um, you know, some of my, my harshness and my sarcasm started to, to fade away and I could tell that God was doing something. But I go to Florence and it's this like six week trip and I got to do a structural assessment of this cathedral in Florence called the Duomo. And actually, true story, to this day, it was built in 1492. It's still the largest masonry dome in the world ever built. Pretty crazy. And so um, we were uh, on this trip to do the structural assessment of, of, the, of, the, um, of the church, and I brought Katie with me for like a, a couple of weeks, and she was able to hang out. And so th the Duomo is a tourist attraction. It's a little hard to explain, but it, the, the dome itself is actually two domes. There's an outer dome and an inner dome, and you can actually, there's a staircase that winds around the in between the two shells of the dome, and you can go all the way up to the very, very tip top of the Duomo and stand outside on the lantern. It's the highest point in all of Florence, okay? It's, it's beautiful, it's magnificent, but it's a tourist attraction. They open it up to people every single day from like, you know, eight to five or whatever, 
whatever. So the Italian government was like, well, you know, we can't have you guys there when the tourists are there. So you can only work from three in the morning until 7.30 in the morning. So we had to do all of our work between those hours, wake up super early in the morning. And um, well, anyway, I, I wanted Katie to be able to, to see this stuff. And so I'm like, all right, babe, listen, I got a plan. I'm gonna put a white lab coat on you and you're just gonna walk with me with purpose. You just, if you act like you're supposed to be there, they're gonna believe you're supposed to be there. And if anybody asks you anything, just say like, no speak it in English or something. And so I, I put a white lab coat on Katie and, and we just marched in there with purpose and we'd always have a, and again, it's a little weird because the Italian government didn't love these two, you know, punk American kids coming and analyzing, you know, an abs- a, a historic building for them. And so there's a lot of red tape. It was a little hostile. They would have a guard with us at all times and had this, uh, and the guard was cool. He was, he was pretty nice and, and spoke very little English. And so I remember asking him, I was like, you know, hey, have you ever, you ever been to America? And he was like, no, but I want to go. And I was like, yeah, I mean, if you could go anywhere in America, where would you want to go? And he was like, California or Texas. I was like, really? I mean, bro, I'm from Texas. I mean, it's, California's got a lot more to see. I'm going to be honest with you. I was like, why Texas? And this young guy just looks at me and he goes, ZZ Top. <laughs> Which is a rock and roll band from Texas, if you don't know that. So I was like, okay, well, I mean, it's not like if you go to Texas, you, you just get to meet them, but you know, whatever. <clears throat> anyway, so this, this guard is there and, and we're it's a little hard to explain, but there's all these corridors and, and stairwells that we're scanning and taking all these measurements from, and there's a device we set up, and you hit go, and it takes all these measurements, and once you've started the, the process, you can't get in the way of it, or it'll screw up all the measurements, and so I very strategically had a plan, and I got me and Katie kind of over on this side of the hallway while the guard was on that side of the hallway, and I set the scanner up, and I hit go real quick, and I'm like, hey, all right, 12 minutes, don't come out, and the guy was like, okay, so I had 12 minutes on this side while the guard was stuck on that side. And so Katie and I rushed to the very, very tip top of the lantern. And don't worry, we didn't defile the cathedral, if that's what you're thinking. (laughs) Didn't happen. But we go all the way up to the very, very tip top, get out onto the lantern. And again, this, it's a tourist attraction. A lot of people go up there, but it opens at eight and the sun rises at 7.15, so the sun's already up. So Katie and I are one of, I don't know, a handful of people ever that actually got to watch the sun rise over Florence. There's a picture of it from the lantern of the Duomo, the highest point in all of Florence, Italy. And I fell in love with Italian architecture, Italian art, um, Italian cultural heritage. And while I was there, I met a professor named, uh, his name is Maurizio Saracini. And if you want to watch one of the five best TED Talks in the history of TED Talks, Google The Secret Life of Paintings by Maurizio Saracini. It will blow your mind. And I met him and started to work with him. And he invited me to be a part of this startup company that was uh, would authenticate Renaissance art using diagnostic techniques and science. We would take x-rays of paintings and UV imagery and all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, this is the single greatest career. It's like, God clearly loves me better than everybody else. I like stumbled into the single coolest job in the world that was gonna be going to like Sotheby's auctions and, and doing these assessments of these paintings that were being sold for tens of millions of dollars. We were gonna have an office in Luxembourg that have these things called free ports. This is so crafty where they have these storage centers basically at airports. And so all these rich people, what they do is they store their assets in these free ports because 
technically it's at an airport, so it hasn't entered a country, so they don't have to pay import taxes on it, okay? So we were gonna have an office in a free port in Luxembourg, and I was just like, this is it. I have, I have arrived. But there was one little problem. This church. Because I had started to fall in love with this place. And there was no way, because that job would have, would have had me a month in Europe, a month here, two months in Europe, a month here. And there was just, I knew, Katie and I knew, there was no way that we could serve this place fully like Caleb. No way that we could give ourselves fully to the kingdom of heaven and do this job. It was one of the hardest decisions I'd ever made, but I walked away from that company so that we could be here. And the crazy thing, here's what you need to understand. I didn't know what I was saying yes to. It wasn't like God showed me, you know, if you walk away from this and step into this, here's all the things you'll step into. Here's, it's just like when Peter, when Jesus says, come and follow me. It wasn't like Jesus said, if you do, you're gonna walk on water, you're gonna heal the sick, you're gonna do all, you're gonna be the first guy to, to, to give the very first sermon in the history of the church. Peter had no idea what he was saying yes to. He just knew what he was saying no to. He knew that he was leaving his career, leaving his family and saying yes to Jesus. That's it. And in the same way, I had no idea what we would step into one day. I had no clue. I knew what I was leaving. I knew that I was leaving this amazing opportunity, something I could have only have dreamt of for my career. But I was determined to have a different spirit. I was determined to give all of myself to the building of God's house. What is it for you? If you wanna see God do the impossible, you've gotta have a different spirit. What is it in you that hasn't given, what area of your life have you not given to him fully with your whole heart? You wanna see the impossible, you've gotta have a different spirit. Can somebody say amen? amen? Point number two, I'll tell you what it is in one second, but I wanna, again, kind of carry the story forward a little bit. So um, Caleb goes in, spies out the land, comes back with this report and says, what are you guys talking about? No, we can, we're well able, we can go take it right now. And then, God gets mad, says you're gonna be in the wilderness for 40 years and only Joshua and Caleb are gonna go into the promised land. And then before they go into the promised land in Numbers 34, we're not gonna read it, but God actually speaks to Moses and says, here's how you are to divide up the promised land when you get in there. And he says, I want you to give this big chunk of land to my servant, Caleb. Now I want you to think about that, okay? Caleb, and we're gonna, you'll hear it in a second, was 40 years old when he went out to spy the land, to spy out the land in, in Canaan, 40 years old. And God gives him this promise that one day he's gonna be a landowner. He's gonna own a giant estate, a huge swath of land, making him one of the wealthiest people in the entire world. He's gonna own one of the most valuable pieces of real estate in the ancient world. Now remember, Caleb was a slave. He was born he was 40 years old, so he was born into Egyptian captivity. All he knew his entire life was not owning anything, being oppressed, being beaten, being whipped, and then all of a sudden, there's a promise from God that says, you are going to inherit one of the most valuable pieces of real estate, be one of the wealthiest men in the world. How impossible would that have seemed to Caleb? So what I love is that we don't hear anything about Caleb, not a peep, until Joshua chapter 14. 
And at this point, they've gone into the promised land. They've sacked Jericho. They've sacked stronghold after stronghold. They've had war after war after war to evict every single inhabitant of the promised land to claim it for Israel. For 45 years, Caleb has been fighting and at war. And then he comes to Joshua and says this in Joshua 14, verses 6 to 14. Then the sons of Judah approached Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb said to him, you know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, on account of you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. Somebody say fully. So Moses swore on that day saying, the land on which your foot has walked shall certainly be an inheritance to you and your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God fully. And now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am 85 years old today. I love this part. This is an emerged man. I am still as strong today as I was on that day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Now then give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakin were there. And with great fortified city, perhaps the Lord will be with me again and I will drive them out just as the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb to this day because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. And it's amazing because Hebron, Hebron is a very, very important place. It's actually where King David was anointed by the prophet Samuel to become the king of Israel. And from King David came Jesus Christ that would save all of humankind. But don't miss the fact that for 45 years, we don't hear a word about Caleb. He's 40 years old and a promise comes to him that you're gonna go from a slave to one of the wealthiest men in the world, inheriting a massive piece of the most prime real estate in the world. And for 45 years... He's faithful, he serves Joshua, he goes in and fights the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, all the ites, and fights and drives them out for 45 years and then reminds God of the promise, reminds God of the promise. Point number two, if you wanna see the impossible in your world, you've gotta hold on to the promises of God. Don't give up, don't give up. When the first sign of discouragement comes, don't give up. If God spoke to you that you're gonna have a baby one day and you miscarry, don't give up. If you try IVF and it doesn't work, but it's a word from God, don't give up. Hold on to the promises of God. In um, 2019, it was uh, November, I think, and so Katie and I are just you know, just serving this church and having a great time. We weren't pastors. We were uh, pastors Drew and Emma Davies had started this campus and Pastor Drew was here last Sunday. So you guys got to meet him. That's the, the pastor that started this campus. And we were just having a great time, just serving and helping them and being their armor bearers. And it was awesome. And I was, uh, I was working, had an engineering job and God spoke to me that it was time for me to leave that job and go and start my own engineering. Uh, it's a, a software engineering company. And so took me a long time. I was very scared, but I did it. I quit my job and stepped out in faith. And so in November of 2019, I am unemployed. 
And then in December of 2019, Pastor Jurgen says, can I take you and Katie to lunch? I say, sure. And then he says, we want you to take over the church. So I'm unemployed and taking over a church, having never pastored ever in my life. And our first day on the job was January 5th, 2020. And it was an amazing, glorious day. If any of you were there, it was the day we changed our name from C3 San Diego to Awaken Church. And it was amazing. We had this video going and our very first Sunday on the job. And so, you know, the video's playing and going through all this highlight reel of everything happened. And it was just, I mean, the video was epic. And it was like, you know, everybody uh, out there just kind of slow, it was like crazy. It was like a Rudy moment, just started slow clapping. And people started standing up. I mean, it was hysteria. And then the video ends, confetti goes off, and Katie and I walk out and we say, for the first time ever, welcome to Awaken Church. And just everyone goes nuts. It was amazing. And I was like, babe, I get used to this. This job is awesome. <laughs> and then March happened. I was like, babe, this job sucks. <laughs> this is really hard. People were leaving left and right, offended about something every day. You know, people calling Katie and I, like, I can't even tell you all the, the death threats we got. And it was wild. The county showing up and trying to shut us down. And, you know, it was, it was really, really hard. It was crazy. And so my business, it was really, really hard. A really hard year. Like, it was everything I could do to just not close the business down. And I'm like, God, hello, you told me to do this. Did you forget and it was a really, really tough year. And I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. I, you, you know, when I launch out in faith, because you say I'm gonna, you're gonna be a business owner and I'm gonna bless it, I'm gonna have my hand upon it. I, I'm not seeing that. And then in 2021, you know, things definitely got better and started to, to, to pick up the pieces from 2020, 2022 a little better. And here I am in 2023 and, and business is good. Don't get me wrong, it's good. But it's not, I wouldn't say if I was honest, like it's just exploding, you know, like I would think if God gives you a word and I feel like the, the word that God gave me was that, that this business was gonna, was gonna just be massive and huge. And, and then um, about five months ago, uh, my third child, my son Leon was born and um, September 18th was um, a very hard day for Katie. She labored, it was very intense, labored all night long um, through, the, through the night. And uh, while I slept, I uh, took a good, you know, little eight-hour nap. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. And um, on uh, September 19th at nine in the morning, my son was born. And we knew that, that we were going to have three kids and, and be done. So it was actually, it was a really pretty monumental day because it was like the season of having kids was over and now it's the season of raising kids. And, um, and it, we were in Jacob's Medical Center uh, in, in La Jolla, you know, new building and the birth center's on the ninth floor, beautiful like floor to ceiling windows. And so, you know, it's 9 a.m. On, on September, I was probably like 10 a.m., like uh, an hour after he was born, you know, got, got everything kind of situated and all the medical staff left. And it's just me, Katie, and, and our brand new baby in this room. And, you know, we're just, of course, on cloud nine and just, he's so cute. He's like the most handsome kid in the whole world. And he's right there, look at him, come on. He was literally born with a mohawk. He was born cool. It's amazing. Anyway, and so I'm, I'm just kind of standing there, just, you know, um, proud papa, like looking out the window at all of La Jolla. And I'm like, oh my gosh, babe, right across the canyon, like literally directly in front of me is our very first apartment on 
uh, it was student housing on UCSD. I'm like, babe, that's crazy. Like, that's where it all started for us, where we pulled into San Diego with our U-Haul truck for the very, very first time, not knowing a soul. Like, that's it, that's crazy. And I was like, gosh, that would have been, that would have been 10 years ago, wouldn't it? Yeah, and then we were like, wait, we moved here in, in September of, of 2012. This September 19th, it's crazy, let's go. And so we start going through Facebook and we rolled in to San Diego, California with our U-Haul truck, with every earthly possession and our little Toyota Camry on the back on September 19th, 2012. 10 years to the day that my son was born. And so I'm staring at where it all started for us. And it was this crazy moment of just like only God could orchestrate that. But then it gets better. Right behind our apartment is another building. And this building is, shoots up into the air, and it's the, it's the WeWork building in Aventine, La Jolla, like where the Flemings is and all the restaurants there, if you know that area. Right, I'm talking right behind it. So it's, it's me, our first apartment, directly behind it, the WeWork building. And that building was the very, very first major project that my engineering company was awarded. And it was like in that moment, God spoke to me and said, so as this building towers over all the buildings around it, so your business will tower over your competitors. And it was like in that moment, I knew that I knew that I knew. Only God could orchestrate something like that. And it's a promise that I have had to hold on to. Don't give up the second you face a defeat, the minute you come into a little bit of warfare and a little bit of resistance, every battle in your life, every good thing you're gonna get with a fight. Come on, somebody, you have to hold on to the promises of God. Don't give up. It's like Pastor Jurgen said, you gotta keep striking the ground. Come on, somebody. And lastly, as we come to a close, point number three, you need to look past the opposition and see God. It's crazy because, again, at 85 years old, Caleb, in the promised land, calls down the promise and says, okay, it's time. Where is this hill country that's been promised to me and my children? And again, after fighting for 45 years, it wasn't just like the land was given to him and he waltzed into some you know, estate and with vineyards and it had inhabitants in it. He had to go back and fight. And I love what he said. He said, I am still as strong today as I was on the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Perhaps the Lord will be with me again and I will drive them out just as the Lord has spoken. Caleb's secret, what made him different than everybody else, the reason he saw the impossible in his life while everybody else died before entering the promised land was because Caleb measured his opposition. He measured his giants up against his God. And everybody else measured their giants up against themselves. When you come up against opposition in your life, you can't look at your strength and measure yourself up against it. You will be discouraged because you can't do it. You're a human being. There are things that are not possible for you, but with God, all things are possible. You have to measure the giants in your life against the God that you serve. You have to declare, my God can do anything. I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me strength? And as we close, I want to tell you a story um, about a guy 
named Cliff Young. He's an Australian guy. Um, and in the early 1980s, he was a sheep herder and had a big piece of property in Australia and, and um, you know, was not, not very well off and financially. And Australia actually had gone through a big economic recession at the time. And he had to sell all of his, his sheep herding equipment. And he had like a, like a quad kind of thing that he would drive around and kind of corral the sheep and he would, and had to sell it. And so for years, he herded all of his sheep by just running. So he would just, in, he was 61 years old. He would have rain boots, trousers, and like a flannel button down. And he would just literally run around his property all day long and herd all the sheep and herd all the cows, just run all day long. And he hears about this race that they have in Australia. And it's uh, like this crazy, like extreme sports thing where they run all the way from Melbourne to Sydney, Australia. It's a 500 mile race, 500 miles. And all the elite ultra marathon psychos like Haley show up from all over the world to run this race. And it's crazy, you know, it's all about the strategy of how you break it up. Like some people, like they run a hundred miles and try to get a, a huge chunk out of the way. Then they sleep for a couple hours. Then they, you know, maybe they run, you know, 50 miles. And it's all about the strategy, how you break it up, when you stop, when you rest, when you eat, when you, you know, get the right calories in, all super strategic runners from all over the world, you know, all decked out in their Nike sponsored equipment and whatever. And so Cliff Young's like, I mean, well, I've been, been running my whole life. I'm gonna give it a go. So the 61 year old man shows up to the start of the race. He's wearing rain boots and he's wearing trousers and a flannel button down. And he does this, he just literally, he runs like this and they call it in Australia, they call it the Cliffy Shuffle. And there's gonna be a quick little video so you can just see this guy. And this is how, how Cliff Young would run. He would just shuffle his feet in his rain boots and his trousers and his, and his flannel button down, just running all over the farm. There he is with his cows, just herding away. Look at him. They call him, they call him the Flash because of his blazing speed. That's the Cliffy Shuffle. And so Cliff shows up to the starting line of this race. You know, the race efficient people are like, hey man, are you here to volunteer or something? And he's like, no, no, I mean, I'm gonna run. Okay, man, well, hey, there's a locker room over there if you wanna go get changed and get your running shoes on. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm good. This is what I run in every day. And so they're like, okay, all right. And so Cliff stands at the starting line of this 500 mile race. The gun goes off and everybody starts running. And Cliff just doing the Cliffy shuffle in his rubber rain boots and his trousers and his flannel button down. And after day one, Cliff Young was in dead last, dead last. And so this race normally takes about five days, okay? And I think, you know, the record at the time was five days, 11 hours, six minutes, you know, whatever. And like the year prior, someone had beat the world record and like literally shaved off like two minutes of this five-day race. And so everyone's just off running and, you know, it's just kind of cute. Like he's kind of, he became kind of like this token mascot that everyone's like, oh, cute. You know, the 61 year old man's running. That's, isn't that awesome? Well then on like day three of the race, someone calls the finish lines. Like, hey, someone's getting like kind of close to the end of this thing. And they're like, no, 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 no. But you know, it takes five days. Like we got a couple days. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, I think you guys need to, you need to get down to the finish line. Someone's like gonna cross pretty soon. So all the TV crews, it's a big deal in Australia. So all the TV crews are just like, wait, what? We're not ready. Like we're not planning on being there for another couple days. And so they're all scrambling and they get down to the finish line 
And here comes Cliff Young. Crosses the finish line a full two days earlier than the previous world record, than all of these elite runners all over the world. And so the TV crews are amazed and they grab him first thing and they're like, Cliff, how did you do it? What was your strategy? How did you break the run up? When did you stop? When did you sleep? When did you eat? How did, did you do like, you know, smaller little chunks and, and little cat naps or how did you, how'd you do it? And Cliff kind of looks at him like a little perplexed and he goes, oh, I didn't know we were supposed to stop. True story. It's a true story. And so Cliff Young ran 500 miles in rain boots, trousers, and a button down. Didn't stop once because he didn't have the limiting mindset of how it was supposed to be done. Every other runner was told the only way you can get through this is you gotta sleep at this point, sleep at that point, break it up. But he had never heard. He wasn't bound by that limiting mindset. And so a 61-year-old man, true story, in rain boots, shattered, like not even close, shattered the world record for an elite race because he wasn't limited in his mind. Where in your life have you said, hey, it just, it can't be done. It just, it's just not the way it works. Everybody in my family has always had diabetes. Nobody in my family has ever been able to get ahead. We've always lived paycheck to paycheck. Where is the limitation that you have put over yourself? Because I'm telling you right now, God has not put that limitation over you. You have. That's why the Apostle Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And what he's saying is, when you look around and you say, well, this is just the way it works. And I actually had to repent a couple of months ago to my wife. I, I had this moment of, of weakness where, you know, Katie and I, we're, we're responsible for, for a lot of things. I'm, I'm the pastor here, obviously, at, at Awaken Eastlake. We're launching a Coronado campus. We're um, gonna be launching a Baja campus here, but probably before the end of the year. I oversee all of the songwriting and music production at our church. I'm the executive over all worship and all production for the entire church. I'm a father to three small kids. I, I have another business. I have my, my engineering startup. And I remember just just having like a, a moment with Katie where I'm like, babe, God cannot bless my engineering business like this. Like CEOs of tech startup companies, like they grind it out. Like they're like the 90 hour a week. They sleep at the office. They've got like Murphy beds and they snort coffee and all that kind of stuff. And like, if I want this thing to work, I got to grind it out. I got to find a way. And I had to repent. And I just remember the Holy Spirit just saying, says who? Says who? Just because that's the way that it works for everybody else doesn't mean that that's the way that it's gonna work for you because you serve the God of the impossible. And I had to repent and I had to say, you know what? I believe God can do all things. I'm not limited. Where in your life have you put limitations over yourself? Hop to your feet really, really quick. I wanna pray for us as we get out of here. I want you to just close your eyes for a second and just... Take a minute, take inventory, ask yourself, where are the areas where you have let the pattern of this world dictate what you're going to believe God for? What area of your life? Maybe there's a parent in here that's got a, a son or a daughter that's away from church. And maybe, maybe they're 
they're living, maybe it's bad. Maybe they're addicted to drugs. Maybe, I don't know. And maybe you would just say, it is, I just, I cannot see a way. I cannot see a path where they will come back. It's, they're too far gone. And I wanna tell you that you serve the God of the impossible. It may seem impossible to you, but the good news is it's not up to you. Surrender it to God. You need to repent right now, right now. In your heart, you need to say, God, forgive me for being conformed to the pattern of this world. God, forgive me for putting limitations over what you can do. Maybe there's somebody in here and things look very dire for you financially. And maybe you've even confessed out loud, we'll never get ahead, we'll never own a home in San Diego. How can anybody afford a house here in San Diego with house prices like they are? You need to repent right now, right now. You need to say, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me for putting limitations over what, can, what you can do. You need to remind yourself that you serve the God of the impossible. God can bless you in San Diego just as well as he can bless you in Texas or Nashville or wherever, wherever else anybody wants to move. God can bless you right here. Maybe there's somebody in here and you've been given a diagnosis and the doctors have said, hey, don't worry, it's, it's manageable. You know what, manageable sucks. Who wants manageable? And right now, if you've come, if you have ever come into alignment with that, if you have said, oh, this is just the way it is, but praise God, it's manageable with medication. Praise God, it's manageable with physical therapy. Fooey to that. Right now, you need to repent and say, God, forgive me for putting limitations over what you can do. God, forgive me and praise God for medicine. Praise God for doctors. I'm not saying, you know, don't take medicine and don't, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is put your alignment with the word of heaven that says by his stripes, you have been healed. Right now, repent and say, God, forgive me where I've put limitations over what you can do. Heavenly Father, right now, under the sound of my voice, I just declare limiting mindsets being broken off of these people. We declare right now that this is gonna be a house where we believe you for the impossible. Jesus, you said that with God, all things are possible. If we ask for anything in your name, believing that we've received it, then we will have it in the name of Jesus. Right now, God, I declare limiting mindsets breaking off of people. God, I declare that we're gonna begin to dream again. You're gonna give us fresh vision. God, where we've faced discouragement before, and I even see right now, there's some of you that have faced discouragement in business. Maybe you had a business that failed. Maybe you got let go from your job, and you have, you because of that, you've prevented yourself from dreaming big again. And you say, man, I just, I'm never gonna take a chance like that ever again. You need to come out of alignment with that vow and begin to believe God. Begin to believe God that he's gonna hatch new dreams and visions on the inside of you, that you are gonna prosper. Just as the word says that God is, that you're blessed coming and you're blessed going out, that you're the head, not the tail, above only, not beneath. God, we thank you right now that marriages are being restored. Even though it may seem impossible, you are the God of the impossible. Though it looks like there is no way that we'll ever overcome this bitterness. There's no way we'll ever overcome that affair. There's no way we'll ever overcome these offenses. That God, you can do the impossible. God, right now we declare healing in people's body where there is diagnoses. We come out of alignment with the words of the doctors and into alignment with the word of heaven. God, that we are healed in Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com. 
or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.